Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. You guys liking these new video game themed intros? <laughs> I'm spending way too much time making those things in the evening, but I'm having a lot of fun as well. And you will be too. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you click like on the channel. If it's your first time here today, subscribe. You know you're gonna love it. Every Monday through Friday, the Wake Up America show streams live. Today is gonna be a very big, very special show. Please praying that the technology works. So we are gonna have our very first live debate happening on this show. I'm excited and I got to give credit to one of our guests who's going to be joining us because it was his idea. <laughs> Thank you, Brad Palumbo. Brad Palumbo is going to be joining us from BasedPolitics.com. He's going to be taking the libertarian side of the gay adoption debate. And our friend Andrew Wilson will be joining us taking the TradCon, traditional conservative side of that debate. It's going to be awesome, but you're going to have to wait. I know, yeah, yeah. 8.30 a.m. Central Time, it's 7.02 now, so an hour and a half from now, we'll have our very first, what I hope will become a weekly event, debate on the issues. My hope is that the, this segment will really grow, we're going to bring in liberals, conservatives, libertarians, socialists, democrats, republicans, conservatives, whatever it is, uh, from all sides of the issues and have debates over the biggest issues of the day. I think you should be excited about that. Good. I can make you be excited. I just hit the you're excited button. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Not only do we have an awesome debate lined up, but we've also got some more awesome guests. Remzo Martinez will be joining us this morning at 7.30 a.m. Central Time to talk about Javier Malay at Davos, knee deep in the dead. <laughs> Javier Malay travels to Davos and he's flying commercial. Yeah, not a private jet, right? Not some kind of like royal military plane or anything like that. The dude is flying commercial. You gotta love it. <laughs> Make politicians fly commercial again. Uh, Javier Malay goes to Davos and a little bit of a preview of his speech will play today. The, the issues that he'll be talking about and taking to that socialist den of vipers. Uh, we're going to hear from Remzo Martinez about that. The articles that I'm reading today are so damn good. Uh, the Wall Street Journal opinion piece that I'm reading about what's happening in Davos is this. It's called The Humiliation of Davos Man. He isn't taking over the world. He's pleading with the world to trust him. Oh, so sad. We're going to hear from Remzo Martinez about that. We've got a lot to talk about. I've got a lot of clips per usual, so you will be as informed as possible by the time this two hours is up. Uh, and, you know, you'll also be entertained. I mean, this is a great way to start the day, isn't it? I see some of our friends out there have been enjoying their delicious Founding Flavors coffee today. Mm -hmm. I think our friend Liberty Shindig, he's the one who lost the bet that Ron DeSantis would win Iowa. Uh, he uh, bought four boxes of the coffee, and I think maybe today is the first day that he is enjoying George Washington's Revolutionary Roast, he says it's delicious. Wait until you try the other ones. Bruv, you're going to love it, bro. It's going to be great. Uh, so make sure that you get yours today, too, at ap4libertyshop.com. At, uh, at 8 o'clock this morning, we're going to hear from uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Big brain time on Wednesdays. Gosh, we can't be excited enough about all the great stuff that's happening on the Wake Up America show. Don't you love it? Don't you like it? Well, then why haven't you clicked the like button yet? Come on, people. What's up? I see, what, five likes, and we got 101 people watching? 28 likes. Okay, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> All right, how dare you, Austin? 
All right. So do me a favor, click the like if you haven't, and subscribe. Don't forget to, you can text the show at 573-319-1586. Judge Napolitano is going to talk to us about a couple of things. Apparently, Judge Napol apparently uh Donald Trump is gonna have his Twitter DMs read by prosecutors about the case against him by Jack Smith. It's like, no, oh God. God. No, uh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, Can you imagine? No. Going in a court case and they're asking you for your Twitter DMs. Can you imagine what Donald Trump's Twitter DMs must look like? I mean, I mean, aren't you curious to find out what they are? But no, 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 no. It's wrong. No, we should not. Invasion of privacy. Invasion of privacy. Anyways, we'll talk about that. You do give up a lot of privacy when you're in the government. But um, one listener messaged in and says, can you make the video game theme opening into posters? I will do that. Do that just for you. I'm typing for you. Would you you prefer paper or an actual canvas? Good question. Hmm, yeah. If you want, I will turn it into a canvas or a poster. If anybody wants those, I will be glad to make those. One listener uh, texted in this morning at 573-319-1586 and said, so there's a war going on all, all over the place. Our U.S. embassy just got attacked in Iraq. And the number one concern of the globalists at the World Economic Forum is controlling what you say, clowns. Hear, hear. Amen. He says the WEF's top concern for the next two years is to police disinformation and misinformation global. I'm with you. I'm, re I'm reading this article this morning, just came out on uh, Zero Hedge. Globalist WEF speak complains that X is toxic and scary, and Elon Musk's uh, policies are problematic. Oh, okay, you know what? I tell you what, I'm going to play that clip. Not right now, not immediately, because I want to play some Vivek Ramaswamy clips. But I will play that clip of people freaking out at WEF over the um, Elon Musk free speech policy. So I grabbed that. Thanks for the person who texted me for reminding me of that. And I grabbed that clip just for you. Do me a favor, though. Just click that like button and subscribe to the channel so that we can get more great content out there for people like yourself who love to engage with us. Another listener texted in, Elizabeth Fanning Press. What's up, Liz? How you doing? Yesterday, when I misspoke on the Wake Up America show, I called my gift shop, the AP for Liberty shop, I called it the Grift Shop. And she says that we should name, rename it the Grift Shop as a joke, which I think is actually kind of funny. <laughs> what do you think? Should we rename it the Grift Shop? What you... no. <laughs> okay, good idea. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then she sent me a message saying that she thinks that Vivek Ramaswamy maybe going for VP. Possibly. I've got some video clips. We are going to talk about that in just like, you know, seconds away. We're going to play some of those clips and we'll talk about it. Make sure that I've uh, gotten everything plugged and ready to rock. Okay, we are ready to rock. Are you guys ready to hear from Vivek Ramaswamy? Yes. Before we hear from Vivek, though, can I just real quick play the show you uh, the Babylon Bee Headline, I was la I was laughing so hard when I saw this yesterday, and some people were like, this is racist, this is cruel, this is rude, how dare you do this? Wait a minute, did I not do it? Oh, wait, anyways, the uh, joke was, and I just don't have the Babylon Bee thing pulled up. Oh, here it is, here it is. Okay, good, here, I'm gonna check this out. So, this is uh, the Babylon Bee, you can see uh, up on the screen, I'll have to describe it for those who are listening to the audio later. Uh, Trump promises Vivek an administration position running the White House 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Walsh, you know, conservative, conservative commentator, 
commenter Matt Walsh is jumping in. He says, check the comments to see, quote, conservatives actually offended by this joke. Absolutely pathetic. He says, I guarantee Vivek Ramaswamy is not in the least a bit offended. You guys really don't need to be his white knight to protect him from Babylon B headlines. He'll be okay, I promise. Yes, exactly. Vivek Ramaswamy retweeted that and said, I'm a survivor, quote. Give it up, Vivek. Let's hear from him. He's hitting the campaign trail with the next president of the United States, Donald Trump, and he's calling for Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to drop out. I think that you guys may have seen some of the rally that we had, and the, the response was overwhelming. And I think it's very clear who the Republican primary electorate is saying that they want to be their nominee. I ran to be that person. They sent me a very positive message. But the very positive message they sent to all of us is that Don, Donald Trump needs to be the nominee of this party. And I think Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley would actually at this point do this country and this party a service by stepping aside to make sure that we're focused on not only nominating Donald Trump, but getting this country back and reviving those founding revolutionary ideals. And I think we do live in that 1776 moment right now. We need to win. You're calling yes. on Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to drop out right now. I am. And I do think that would be healthy for this country. And I think that, you know what, especially Ron DeSantis, at least of the two of them, will have an important role to play in the future of this country and leading this nation. I do believe that. But I think that the right thing Agreed. to do right now is the people of this country through the Iowa caucus, it's the most grassroots process I've seen. I personally did over 390 events, built great relationships and goodwill. But the message they sent was clear. I think it's time to actually make sure we elect the right president, put America first, Take the America first agenda to the next level. And you know what? America first is not even about Trump. It didn't start in 2016. That's right. It started in 1776. You're right. And so Donald Trump will be the right person to <laughs> take this Kelly. forward for the next You're four right. years. But we need to start laying down the foundation for this to live another 250 years. All right. And then some. And I do think that this is the right next step for us to take, which is why I proudly endorsed Donald Trump last night. I get it. Be big. Chef's kiss like cake. Uh, and I posted this on my Twitter account maybe yesterday. Yeah, I think yesterday, and I'm getting no end of hell from it, knee deep in the dead, uh, that I said that Vivek Ramaswamy is showing libertarians how it's done. And they're like, no, boo, Austin, boo from the libertarians. How dare you? Uh, what, by losing? By blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Vivek isn't losing. Vivek has won. It's kind of like when I ran for president, right? Did I lose the nomination of the libertarian party? Sure. But did I win in other ways? Yeah. Well, I, I won in a lot of other ways. I mean, the relationships that you build, right? To be able, if I had not run for president and U.S. Senate and lost, do you think that this podcast, even like, you know, as minimally successful as it is right now would be even as minimally successful as it is right now, I'd just be another nobody, right? So Vivek actually advanced himself with his principles that he stood for, got the ideas and the message out there. And now here he is standing on stage with potentially the next president of the United States who's saying things like this. That is what American exceptionalism is all about. That is what we are going to revive to, yes, make America great again. Vote for this man right here in the New Hampshire primary. God bless you and your families, and may God bless our United States of America. Thank you, New Hampshire. It's good to see you guys. We're coming back and winning this in a landslide. We will not stop until we get this job done. Thank you all. God bless you and your families. There you go. 
See, these are the voices that we want to have whispering in that ear. We don't want the Nikki Haley's of the world to be standing up on stage with the man on power telling him, oh, you should bomb Iran or you should be doing this. We should spend send money to Ukraine. We want people like Vivek Ramaswamy whispering in the ears of power. Am I correct? Come on, people. Vivek Ramaswamy showing libertarians how it's done. VP, they shout, VP, VP. Thank you, thank you. Wow, that's how was that? Pretty good, right? That was pretty good, and he's a fantastic guy, and he's really, uh, he's got something that's uh, very special because he started off with a Zippo, and he's got, he ended up very strong. He did a great job. I was actually surprised when he called because he was doing well. And uh, it's an honor to have his endorsement. He's going to be working with us, and he'll be working with us for a long time. Thank you. Come on, libertarians, take a page. Take a page out of the Vivek Ramaswamy playbook. I'm telling you right now, this is where we want to be. It's time for us to make America great again. Now, I did say that it is important for us to maintain our principles, right? Change your tactics. Keep your principles while we are on the route to taking power from the government and returning it to the American people. Can I get an amen? Kim McCurry over in the live stream says, it was awesome meeting you during my campaign. She says, and if you had never ran, you would have never met Stephanie. That's an important point. I think about that in my U.S. Senate race. I may have lost the U.S. Senate seat or the the race to take that primary in here in Missouri, but I want a wife and a family, a beautiful wife and a house and five and a half acres here in Jefferson City. I would have never been the radio host of News Radio KWOS here in mid-Missouri, made all of these friends. I wouldn't be here in Jefferson City right now broadcasting the show in this beautiful studio that Scott Fawn has graciously donated to me here to be able to be here. Give it up for Scott Fawn from the Missouri Times. I mean, this is how libertarians can advance themselves. I mean, here's the thing. You know, we kind of joke about libertarian podcasters, right? And in many ways, I am more than just a podcaster. But sometimes when people ask me what it is that I do for a living, I would just be like, you know, I'm a streamer. You know, (laughs) I'm a streamer, right? But aren't I really so much more than that? And you can be too if you get rid of that libertarian loser mindset. That's what I'm trying to explain to libertarians this morning. I'm online and I'm talking to them about getting rid of this loser mindset that libertarians have. It and this these tweets that I'm retweeting to remind people of this, they're saying things like, for example, you know, Vivek, unlike Malay, was more interested in culture war BS than actual liberty. What is wrong with you? You're not even paying attention to the people that you're citing. Javier Malay said specifically that it's important for libertarians to actively fight in the culture wars. He said that specifically. You know, libertarians lie to themselves and we lie to each other in order to stay safe and warm in our protective bubble of being huge losers so we don't have to wear the crown of thorns that is associated with actual governance or the the actual difficult positions that someone like Vivek Ramaswamy might be in, right? To, to bow out graciously and to endorse the person that he thinks is best to carry the torch. He, he You know what, Javier, uh, excuse me, Vivek Ramaswamy might not agree with Donald Trump on certain things, because I think Vivek Ramaswamy leans a little bit more liberty than Trump. I, as a matter of fact, I know he does. 
But we don't get everything that we want in this world. Part of being an adult is realizing that compromise is de facto part of the job. You know, that's, you know, get married, right? And and start a family. You'll realize that compromise is a part of the process here. But this is again more of that losertarian talk that I just can't stand. Um another tweet that I saw that was really uh, you know, getting me fired up yesterday or this morning, perhaps, psyops, people call my show a psyops show. That's hilarious. It is a Liberty psyop. There you go. Um, just, I, I can't stand the whole losertarian aspect. We have got to have a winner mindset. Even if you've lost before, you cannot allow the losses that you have had previously to define who you are. Because once you start losing, it's easy to continue down in that spiral. And I've lost before. I've lost elections. You know, I've lost debates. I've lost things that uh, that are dear to me, right? But I've also won certain things, right? And you have to build up the momentum of winning. It has to start with a winner mindset. Even if you've lost in the past, you have to learn from it. Take what you can from it. Pick up the pieces and start to rebuild and start to work towards your next victory. That's why yesterday, this tweet that I posted went viral. I said, I'm calling all libertarians who want to fight to join me this year, 2024, in total war against the left. We have to take a page out of Javier Malay's playbook, unite a libertarian, conservative, populist movement, and defeat shit leftists this fall. Sorry for the language. <laughs> Should have warned you. Uh, do me a favor, will you click like and subscribe to the channel? Uh, you can also send us a text at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586 is the text line. Our listeners are texting in. Some say some suppression coming in from Michigan for GOP. Backers of the Michigan GOP chair vote to retain her and ban those that vote against her from leadership for five years. <laughs> That's party politics for you. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, to watch yourself on that one. Uh, the uh, Wake Up America show is brought to you by listeners and viewers like you. When you click like and subscribe, you're helping to support the channel. Uh, and do us a favor when you you know share us with a friend. Let's let people know that hey, the Wake Up America show is a great way to start the day. Hey, do you want to see what the idiots over at the Lincoln Project are doing these days? <laughs> the pedos over at the Lincoln the pedo project. <laughs> They've put out a new ad against Donald Trump. So ho hum, so boring, but it's hilarious. Let's laugh. Uh, at the Never Trumpers, God made a dictator. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a man to test the will and goodness of a free people. So God made a dictator. Oh, Hitler references already so cringe. You know, if you're listening to the audio later, you can't see that. Of course, they're putting up Adolf Hitler. It's Donald Trump. Donald Trump is Hitler. Oh, no. Everybody's. Oh, no. He's Hitler. He's going to put us all in cramps. Oh, God, it's so stupid. God said, I need a man who failed in everything but theft and broken promises to live in a golden palace and convince the poor he serves their needs. Saddam so God made a dictator. God said, I need a wicked man to leave Kim Jong -un. the common folk with hatred and fear. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a corrupt man who is above the law and immune from justice. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who will use violence to seize power. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man whose followers will call black white, call evil good, and call criminals hostages. So God made a dictator. God said, I need his political party to obey without question, and the press fear his wrath. So God made a dictator. 
God said, I need a cruel man who uses his power and position to punish and to harm his opposition. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who breaks the faith of even his most godly followers and leads them to idolatry. Place him above me. Okay, first of all, first of all, this meme that you're seeing up on the screen right now is hilarious, okay? And I'm pretty sure that it wasn't... I'm pretty sure that this wasn't a serious painting of Donald Trump on the cross as Jesus with the American flag draped around him to cover his ghibli bits and Nancy Pelosi putting the spear in his side and Melania like like washing oil on his feet with a MAGA hat on the cross. I'm pretty sure that the person who made this made this as a joke meme, but the Lincoln Project is taking it seriously. I even here's the thing. Even if it's somebody, some MAGA boomer did make this and made it seriously, I personally find this freaking hilarious. Place him above me. So God made a dictator. And then God said, I sent this man to test you, and until you cast him down, you have failed. So God made a dictator. Oh, God. Oh, God. God, that's so cringe. It's so cringe. How dare you? How dare you? Ugh, I need something to cleanse my palate after that. Let's hear from Javier Malay, who is getting ready to head to Davos about what he's going to be talking about at Davos. We're going to hear from Remzo Martinez in just a few minutes about that. I, as usual, I will translate the Espanol. What is the purpose of the trip to Davos, he's asked? To plant the ideas of freedom in a forum that is contaminated by the socialist agenda 2030, which will only bring misery to the world. What will Wednesday's presentation be all about, senor? What is the theme of the speech? That freedom is the key to prosperity. What is the point of meeting Kristalina Georgieva of the IMF at the hearing you'll have on Wednesday? To continue the conversations by making very clear our convictions to change course as set by the new government. Yeah, mucho gracias, Mr. President. Happy What kind of uh, assholery will be conducted at the World Economic Forum? Well, it'll be things like this. For a like long this. time I was on Twitter, um, and now it's become such a toxic place that I've concluded it's not a worthwhile place to spend time. And as you've said, it is exhausting. So you do have to pick and choose, and you have to think about where the places where you can get your message across. But I am trying to figure out—I mean, I have given up on X, what a scary name that even is, right? Um, <laughs> And I don't know what the alternative is right now. So the question of the social media, I must say that I have abandoned Twitter too, so X, because yeah, it's a toxic environment. And we talk about, I have no solution on that, but I think one day it will come the moment of the um, code of conduct mm -hmm. in these places, because journals, journalists, if you spread crazy news and insults, and if you, Crazy news and insults like, oh, I don't know that COVID-19 was a lab leak and not from a pangolin that kissed a turtle, perhaps. Uh, if you spread things that are very uncomfortable for us globalist leaders at Davos, then viva sensorivis code of conduct, yeah? But, Adolf, but, but it's Donald Trump who's Adolf Hitler, not these guys. They're not Hitler. 
It's it's Donald Trump who's Hitler, not Obviously, these people. Racist things. It can it can be amended. Exactly. Why on so, why social media yes. that they have such big power? We still can because it's new. But I think we, there will be a societal reflection on how information is brought mm -hmm. there. Of course, on X now there is also the the policy of the, the of the owner that is problematic. But I think this is a problem of uh, of the society of the future. The deontology in social media. Mm, 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 interesting. You know, conservatives and libertarians used to dominate social media. Conservatives and libertarians used to be the top trends. Sorry, I keep hitting the, the music button there. Uh, used to dominate the trends when Facebook, remember when Facebook used to be, you'd log in and there would be the top trending stories and articles on Facebook. You know why they got rid of that so quickly? Because conservatives used to be the dominant voice on Facebook. And a lot of that has to do with the aging demographic that likes Facebook. But they started shutting that down. Remember, but like so many people are already forgetting. Don't memory hole what they did to us before the 2020 elections and, and, and in 2016, in the 2016 elections, what the left did to social media to censor us, neuter us, to shut us down, silence us, suppress us. Right? Obviously, that's all still going on and it's widespread. But we all know that it goes one way. We all know that these leftists are the ones who are stopping our voices from being heard, because if our voices, they, they can't win an actual debate on the merits of an argument. They have to censor us. They have to shut us down because they can't win an actual debate. And they know that if people hear our ideas, I'm going to throw my coffee all over the place, founding flavors everywhere. They know that if people hear our ideas, they might actually agree with them. That's why they have to cheat. The left has to cheat in order to win. They can't win in a fair fight. And you know what? That's why it's up to us to cheat and not have a fair fight. You know what? If you're ever in a fair fight, the reality is your tactics suck. That's why I'm calling on all libertarians to go and declare total war with me against shit leftists. Are you with me? You may have your lives, but will you have your freedom? All right. Coming up next, Remzo Martinez to talk about Javier Malaya Davos. But, but first, before you do, visit our sponsor, quickrxstore.com. Save 10 is the coupon code to save 10% ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, all of your sweet, sweet RX goodness at quickrxstore.com. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. How's everybody feeling? Good, good. Hundreds of people watching live. You love to see it. Do me a favor. Click like. Let's get hundreds of likes on this stream. And if it's your first time watching, how about a subscribe? Click that sub and then that way it's easy to find us. Of course, if you know the schedule, it's Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. It's a two-hour live talk show, Liberty Talk, economic freedom, personal liberty. That's what we're all about. Today's show is going to be extra special. Not only do we have awesome guests like my next one coming up, Remzo Martinez, will be joining us in just a moment. But today will be our very first live debate on the Wake Up America show. So you don't want to miss 
at 8.30 today when Brad Palumbo and Andrew Wilson face off today on the question of whether or not gays should be allowed to adopt. We've got a traditional conservative and a libertarian. It's going to be awesome. Make sure you stick around for that. So you don't want to miss a minute. Plus, lots of surprises and announcements and things happening, especially this week. All right. Javier Malay goes to Davos. Oh, no. So, and some people are freaking out over it. They knew it. He was in bed with the globalists the whole time. Okay, well, yeah, maybe that's part of a story for all of the weird, weirdo, like, Aspie libertarians like us. But there's a bigger story happening right now that I think we need to discuss. When I read this headline that the Wall Street Journal called The Humiliation of Davos Man, and the subheading, he isn't taking over the world, he's pleading with the world to trust him. I have my evil laugh. <laughs> makes me happy and excited and not as happy as excited as I am when Remzo Martinez is on the show. Here he is live. What's up? How you doing, handsome? <laughs> I'm doing better than Davos man at this point. He begging. <laughs> he pleading. <laughs> Here's what they're saying. These This is like the theme of the World Economic Forum's retreat at the Swiss Alps this year. Uh, it's called Rebuilding Trust. <laughs> Take it away, Remzo. It's like if Bohemian Grove was like, you know, maybe the owl is scaring people. Maybe we need to go ahead and put up a giant effigy, a steamboat Willie or something like that. Um, you know, for years, people said that Klaus Schwab looked like a James Bond villain. And it seems like he must have heard that because he really doubled down when it came to his outfits and his, you know, German supervillain type of deal. Um, th this is this is the issue that I've always had with, you know, these giant new world order type of schemes. A good friend of mine, Logan Albright, once said, you know, the thing about conspiracies is that you actually need competent people willing to follow through with them. And then you need to make sure that everyone in the world is on the same page at the same time. And, uh, you know, I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, you know, while I do think that organizations like this are totally, absolutely in broad daylight trying to change our lives for the worse. In situations like this, you know, even they're frustrated because you look at what um what those uh, fa farmers are doing in um what was it in Finland or something like that where they're throwing manure over the fence of um their local like towns um you know city councils and stuff like that like you need a you need a compliant population and it seems like the WEF is like these people like their meats so they like their gas cars their guns why won't they just you know own nothing, eat the bugs, and be chill about it. I mean, it's um, it's moments like this where I'm like, wow, maybe there is some hope for humanity. Maybe we're not completely doomed yet because the supervillains are literally complaining that they're not getting away with enough at this point. <laughs> so this is what the Wall Street Journal says. The real scandal of Davos isn't that it's taking over the world. It's that it's failing. The Davos agenda controversial in some quarters, right? Decarbonization, gender equality, and the abolition of dire poverty, right? But far from being able to impose their agenda on a captive world, the Davos elites are wringing their hands as their dream slowly dies. I mean, this is... There's a, lot of doom, there's a lot of doom scrollers out there, Remzo. Doom and gloom, World War Three. the world is dying, but like... It feels like, and this is a good time for us to segue to Javier Malay, it feels like there is a populist revolt happening around the world. Geert Wilders, Javier Malay, the prime minister of Italy, maybe the re-election of Donald Trump? The once and future president. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I thought the same thing about uh, Jair Bolsonaro 
in Brazil. And I know a lot of people don't like him for many things, but yeah. I, 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 you know, he was one of my favorite world leaders at the time. <laughs> and it was because, you know, he was, um, he was Teddy Roosevelt without like, you know, the, the big company, you know, the big business busting. And, you know, instead of taking a bullet to the chest, he literally got stabbed in front of an entire rally and, and still won the presidency. And uh, we saw what happened when he got elected. The whole world was saying that he was just basically Tropicana Trump or, you know, South American Hitler, all these things, <laughs> you know, as much as we look at movements. And for years, I have said that the liberty movement is not really the liberty movement. The liberty movement is about liberty individuals who at some point say, I'm going to take things upon myself and I'm going to go ahead and pull the rest of you with me, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, Javier Malay came out of nowhere. I had no clue who he was until about a week before he became president. And you had a lot of these pundit types who went ahead and said, oh, yeah, I knew Malay was going to be president. You know, absolutely. No, no hesitation. It's like, bro, you didn't even know who he was like three days ago. I say the same thing about, um, you know, the uh, the the current governor of Virginia when he was running a couple years ago. I mean, I, I looked at him and I was just like, you know, young kid. I was like, this guy is interesting. I've been working in Virginia politics my entire life. and. You had a lot of uh, the same regular characters saying, oh, you know, all these X, Y and Z factors are why he won't become governor. And, you know, the day after he wins, they're like, I had no I, I had nothing holding back <laughs> saying that, you know, Glenn Youngkin was going to be governor. I knew it the entire time. It's like, shut up, shut up. You people ride the coattails of these people. And then as soon as they actually do all the hard work, you come in and take the success of them. And then for the folks that, you know, are always contrarian, they always find a reason to hate them. Uh, you know, I look at your at your ex feed, Austin, the amount of hate that Javier Malay gets because he has a hot wife. He plays soccer, the guitar. He's getting stuff done. Like, listen, folks, if you're not getting a hard on from what this guy is doing, I guess you're just not liberty enough. OK, <laughs> that's Remzo Martinez joining us live on the show right now. If you're enjoying that content, click like and subscribe. The numbers continue to rise. I'm sure that's because uh, Remzo is fun and funny. We're glad to have him here on the show. Um, <clears throat> Remzo, Javier Malay, uh, victory after victory, it looks like down there. He seems to be you know, accomplishing more than our wildest dreams. And then. The video of him that I just saw this morning is him flying commercial in uh, to get to Davos. Um, make politicians fly commercial again. That should be our new rallying cry. He really is the real deal. He's legit. People are trying to smear him because he's going to the D the WEF or Davos. Or he, he, but the thing is, is like it's just like Vivek Ramaswamy. What libertarians don't understand is that Vivek Ramaswamy is making liberty win. He's advancing his personal brand, yes, absolutely, but he's doing it advancing ideals that are very close to what we believe. It's like so many people are, are allergic to winning, or maybe it's just like, I mean, there is a word that I sometimes use as like conspiratard, right? At some point, like the conspiracy brain will like, will make you retarded. Yeah, going back to Malay flying coach, did you ever see that? That, I think it was Kurt Russell movie, Executive Decision. Yes, great film. Man, listen, I'm not saying I want everyone to fly jets. I do because global warming is a lie. But that scene where the <laughs> senator is taken hostage and the whole plane is taken hostage, I'm like, you know, if he wants to take one plane to Davos, that won't that won't upset me. But that's neither here nor there. Um, 
you know, we, we have this idea that nothing can succeed without our involvement. And I see this specifically when I speak to American libertarians. Mm. I want to point out that like 10 years ago, there were libertarian party officials in the Russian government. So take that as you will. In, in Putin's Russia, in Dmitry Medvedev's Russia, there were elected libertarians. There are elected libertarians. There have been in Australia and other countries. And then when we look at our record here, we only get that when somebody decides to commit political suicide and switch party affiliation. I think in the United States specifically, you know, libertarians are just so accustomed to watching defeat after defeat that the idea that something can happen in other countries that aren't as awesome as ours is just, you know, a slap in the face. And the way I see it is, you know, the fight isn't about me. The fight isn't about you. The fight is for liberty for mankind. And if you have nothing good to say about this, just shut up, sit back, grab your popcorn and watch because Malay is going to do it with or without your support. He was doing it before you even knew who he was. Now, obviously, Javier Malay is a great example for us to look to. But when I talk about Vivek Ramaswamy, I also get a lot of sniffs, a lot of noses in the air, right, from people who are like, eh, he's not liberty enough. He's not good enough. He's not Javier Malay, et cetera. I mean, obviously, no one will ever, ever be perfect. But Vivek Ramaswamy as VP, that would be a huge step in the right direction, at least according to me. What about you? Uh, Rand Paul got a lot of slack because he was golfing with Trump and he was, you know, going to meetings with Trump. And they were like, you know, Rand, what did you do now? You're hanging out with Trump. You're you're defending Trump all the time. And my thing was like, I'm sorry. Rand was the Trump whisperer. How many good appointments did we get because Rand Paul was the person holding out because Rand Paul was the person giving advice? How many wars did we not get into because Rand Paul was teaching Trump foreign policy? So my question was, it's like, if you have to be in a room where big decisions are happening, would you rather somebody like that be there? Or would you rather, you know, Trump have just surrounded himself with John Bolton the entire time? So, you know, if you're not in the room where these decisions are made, you can't have any impact. And I, I have to remind myself, the same people saying this about Vivek Ramaswamy are the same people who said this about Rand Paul. They're the same people who said this about Ron Paul. They, they will always be there. But at the end of the day, um, you know, these men know what they have to do and they're getting it done. And if we can say one thing about Vivek Ramaswamy is that he has ended the neocon class forever. Forever. I don't see it as he got 7% and Trump got like 50 whatever <laughs> in Iowa. I see that America first, that liberty focused Americans won 57%. And I would even still give some to Ron DeSantis. I mean, I think that his uh, his grifter influencer campaign was run by absolute retards. But, you know, Ron DeSantis, I think, should be president one day. I still really like him. Uh, it's not. No, it's just not now. I've been saying that for years. You know, the Ron worst DeSantis that you want is just I think he just thought that he, he ran like an establishment style campaign that it was going to be, you know, like a George Jeb Bush style campaign that he'd sailed a victory. But it was weird because in the beginning, you know, he tried this whole X.com platform launch, which didn't work well for him. And then it was one stumble after another from there. But I mean, he never came and talked to people like us. He never came and talked huh. to the podcasters. Right. It was there was no access that was available to him. It was very remote, very removed. And, and I think a lot of people, even in Florida, too, and you can see you saw with the vote, with the way that the polls have shown in like Miami and places where Ron DeSantis won a resounding victory, 
in his general election down there, he's not going to win Florida. He's not going to win his own state in the Republican presidential primary. I mean, that's yeah. a huge that's a huge slap in the face. And I mean, if I were him, I would avoid that kind of embarrassment and drop out now because to me, the play, the real play for people like us is hashtag never Nikki, right? Before Absolutely. we can go out and fight Joe Biden, we have to stop Nikki Haley, right? Yeah, that, that's what's come down to. And I mean, if DeSantis, when you're getting your advice from Eric Erickson and and the uh, Christina Pushaw and, and the others, like you, you got to stop. Like he wanted to have one foot in the, in the you know, anti-establishment camp. And then he had like a whole leg in the establishment camp. And it was like, dude, like you were making really good decisions before this. What the hell happened? But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be never Nikki at this point. It's like people really look at what's going on. And, and what's striking is, you know, I still see uh, certain people within our ecosphere who are still like, well, I don't have a dog in this race. I'm not voting for anybody. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm not saying like the world is going to end. But like, remember $15 eggs like a year ago? Remember that horrible <laughs> withdrawal of Afghanistan? You look at what the Biden administration has run through America and it's like a Jerry Springer episode on crack. Like we're not even in House of Cards territory. Like there's a literal crackhead in the White House. We have a man of dementia who's being carted around. Like you don't see a difference between him and Trump because here's what I remember. I remember no wars. I remember cheap gas. I remember jobs. I remember a Big Mac costing a dollar fifty less. Like, come on. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. And people get offended when I say he was the most libertarian president of my lifetime. I'm not saying he's libertarian. I'm not even saying that, you know, he likes us. But man, we had a seat at the table. Things were getting done. You know, the, if you turned off the TV and you looked around, things were pretty awesome for a little bit. And I want that back. Yeah. Same. Completely agree. I'm with Renzo Martinez here. What about you? If so, click that like button and subscribe to the channel you're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show right now. 225 people watching live. We're glad to have you here. I know many of you are probably tuning in for the first time and you're probably enjoying the content. So clicking that subscribe button it makes it easier for you to find us. But if you've got a good memory, don't forget every Monday through Friday, we are live 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Please adjust for your own time zone and come back and join us. Drop a comment, a like, and a subscribe to help support the ideas that Remzo Martinez and I believe in, which is economic freedom and personal liberty. Look, it's Liz says, I like Remzo a lot. We're getting lots of praise for our buddy Remzo today. Good. So I guess one last line of questioning here. What should we learn? What do we have to learn from Vivek Ramaswamy or, and or Javier Malay? What are the lessons here for people, Remzo? to learn from these two gentlemen. Well, first things first, have you ever heard Malay sing hard rock? No. Dude, you got to go YouTube that stuff. Really? That is hardcore. They are, they, are, they are pop culture figures, much in the way that Trump was. Uh, Vivek knew how to communicate with people. People were making fun of Jake Paul for going on the campaign trail with Ramaswamy. I thought that was smart. You know, in terms of actually getting young people, in terms of understanding the culture, one, it helped that he was not 85 years old, but he understood he had to be charming. I mean, he would go out on the campaign trail and he would play piano for people. Uh, he would he would rap Eminem like he's a pop culture person. He speaks the language of regular people, whether he is or not is a completely different thing. That That's neither here nor there, but he could do that. Malay was a soccer star. He was in a rock band. You, Austin, I'm telling you. 
it's going to be your ringtone by the end of the day. Okay, go ahead and do Javier Malay rock band. I am found um, it. I found it. I found it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> go ahead. So, I mean, they, they were part of the culture. They had, you know, a personality developed over time. And that way, when he became the Austrian economist type of person, then people are willing to listen to him. It's kind of like a Joe Rogan effect. You know, you go in for one thing. Next thing you know, you, you come out with all this other awesome information that you didn't know what you were getting. So I think that, you know, engaging in the culture, and when I say that, I'm not saying, you know, go into a culture war where you're trying to cancel MLK Day on MLK Day, the same day as the Iowa caucus that some people were. Like, um, you know, that that's the that's how you're going to get people back. That's where DeSantis failed. That's where a lot of people failed. You know, the ideas of liberty are enticing. People want to hear them. They don't hear it enough. If you can speak to them on their level in some way, if you have achievements that are outside of just the political realm, that's how you're going to make movements, make friends, and get shit done. There you go, Remzo Martinez. He gets done. Welcome to the Wake Up America show. Remzo Martinez, you make the show so much more fun and funny. We'll I definitely be having you back. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being generous with your time. We appreciate you. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners or plug before we let you go? If you're awesome like Liz, go ahead and follow me on X at Hey Remzo. That's H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. Thank you so much, Austin. There you go, Remzo Martinez. Give it up. Give it up. You too, Remzo. We appreciate you very much. Stop hitting the music button, Austin. All right, there he is. Give us a like and a subscribe. We appreciate all of our listeners today. It's going to be an awesome one. We're going to have Judge Napolitano, Big Brain Time, 10 minutes from now, 8.30 a.m. Central Time. We're going to have our first live debate on the show, and I'm just praying that things don't break down, no, that technology God. actually works, and everybody's no, computers God, are please, no, fast no, and <laughs> there are no problems. No, All right, so I think no. this might be the video that that um, uh, Remzo was talking about here. Javier Malay dressed as ANCAP man, anarcho-capitalist man. Let's see. Let's take a look and a listen to see. Hold on. Oh, you know what? It doesn't want to. Here we go. This is not. This is obviously not uh, rock and roll. But. All right, it's not the worst I've ever heard. I don't know. I don't know that I would put that in my ringtone, like I said. Here's Javier, fine coach. Look at this, president of Argentina. Here he is. Viva la libertad. Viva la libertad, carajo. Here he is, flying coach to Davos. I'm so jealous of freaking Argentina. How dare you? How dare you have a more libertarian president than the United States? We have to put up with this. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him uh, in. Yeah, we've got to put up with that instead of Javier Malay, who's freaking awesome. God dang it. Rah, rah. Oh, God. No, God, please. We got to put up with President Pervo. Look at her. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with her, like a little lady in a race car. It's god awful. It's god awful. But you know what's awesome? The Wake Up America shows AP for Liberty Shop. Have you guys visited the shop yet? Today is the day. It's time for us to go shopping. Yes. If you know anything about me, you know that I am a big, huge coffee drinker. And everybody who is trying Founding Flavors Coffee for the first time, is realizing how freaking delicious it is. Okay, here's the thing. I'll tell you a funny story. My dad, he, he, no, he, 
he's 82 years old, 81, 81 years old. And, you know, older people, they tend to, you know, new things. It's hard to get them to like new things, right? So I'll never, I'll never forget. Like, well, a couple of months ago, he comes over to my house. Uh, maybe, oh, it was, maybe it was Thanksgiving. And he's there and he's like, you know, I'll take a cup of that coffee. He goes, he takes this, he takes a sip of it, right? And anything, anytime we take anything, trace anything new, it might be a little weird to you. So he takes a sip and I've seen my dad do this so many times. He takes a sip of the coffee and he goes, mm, you know, like, oh, he didn't like it. Like, okay. And he doesn't like the coffee. All right. First time I'd ever seen anybody say they didn't like my coffee. So, you know, I'm laughing. I'm like, all right, dad. I saw him going, I'm, I'm looking for like, a, like some of the other brands that I can hopefully, hopefully he'll be more familiar with or whatever, you know, that, but I kind of forgot to go and like try and make him a different coffee. I come back and he's, you know, he starts sipping on it. He goes, he goes, you know what, Austin, that's, that's pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah. Now my dad drinks founding flavors coffee. He loves it. And he does not go for new stuff. So Listen, I know it's hard for people to switch brands, especially when you've already got one that you like. Coffee is one of those things that's very personal. Everybody has their own different flavor that they like, right? Or they, you know, decaf or what have you. But if you haven't tried Founding Flavors Coffee yet, today's the chance to do it. Hit me up over at ap4libertyshop.com. Get a bundle of them and you will save two, five, 10% based on how many boxes you buy. Try them all. And here's the thing. If there are any one of those that you just don't like, and you're just like, you know what, Austin, this is not for me. I will, if you send it back to me, I will refund your money. Okay. So you take no risk at all. Only the risk that you might get addicted to a new brand. But the cool thing is, is that not only are you getting amazing, delicious coffee, you can also get it delivered to your front door. Like so many people do two weeks, one month, two months, three months, which by the way, Joni, Rankin hit me up yesterday and was like, hey, I want to get my coffee delivered a little more often. Mm-hmm. Hell yes, Joni. We did. We wrote you back, Joni. So check your email inbox because Stephanie was asking uh, about how exactly we want to tweak your order. So make sure you let us know about how you'd like to have your coffee delivered exactly every two weeks. There's just one little thing. We want to make sure we get your order right. But Founding Flavors Coffee can be not only be delivered to your front door, but it can be get, given to you if you do not like it you can send it back to me and I will refund your money. So it's no obligation, no risk to you other than you, again, you might love it so much, but here's the thing. Not only are you getting delicious coffee, but if you're, especially if you're buying it on a monthly basis on our monthly plan, you're supporting the wake up America show. So if you're a monthly coffee subscriber, you're also eligible for our 20% discount at the shop. The 20% discount applies to everything, but the coffee, because we have, I know, don't be disappointed, but, uh, we'd get a lot of items for 20% off, a lot of awesome items, which is basically at cost for us. So if if you're a monthly coffee subscriber, you get that 20% discount and you're helping to support the show. So you're getting delicious coffee, you're supporting the show, uh, and it's a win-win-win all around. So check it out. AP, the number four, ap4libertyshop.com. Thank you so much to everyone who's already been buying the coffee and enjoying it and supporting the channel. We're very grateful for you. Judge Andrew Napolitano's next. Big brain time. What are we going to talk to the judge about? We're going to ask him about Donald Trump's DMs, sliding into Trump's DMs. The government is. They want to find out what he's been tweeting to each other in the private. We'll talk about that as well as the Chevron deference. What is that? We'll explain when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Go shopping during the break. 
Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Click like and subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content that you're hearing today. I know many of you are very excited because we've got such a special episode today. Coming up in about 30 minutes from now, our very first live debate between Brad Palumbo and Andrew Wilson. I know you're very excited and anticipating that. It's such an awesome show because we are now expanding our ideas. And when it's Wednesdays, we all know it's big brain time. That means that one of the leading lights, one of the biggest voices for liberty in the world joins us every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Central Time. The host of the very successful Judging Freedom podcast, which you can download on any of your mobile devices, and his weekly column at judgenap.com is a mighty avatar for the ideas that we fight for here. Economic freedom and personal liberty, no greater voice than Judge Andrew Napolitano joining us now from the frigid state of New Jersey. Is it true, Judge, a foot of snow out there on the ground? How are you doing, brother? What a, it is true. Good morning, Austin. It's a foot of snow and the temperatures in the single digits. And my uh, beagle German shepherd miss mix, Chris, <laughs> I don't know how he tolerates it. He just loves the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it either. I've got two French bulldogs and it's the same thing. They both just love running around and playing outside, but not me. I'm definitely a warm weather creature. Um, Judge, we're glad to have you here. As usual, the big news stories of the day we give to you because you can help us understand it better than anyone. Um, the government sliding into Donald Trump's direct messages what is this invasion of privacy, legitimate, lawful activity of government? Help us to understand what's happening. This is a, a terrible a state of affairs and a terrible outcome. And unfortunately, it's going to upset a lot of your listeners. It goes back to legislation signed by Ronald Reagan. So in the old days, before this legislation called the Bank Privacy Act. Now, you know the way the feds name legislation. The Patriot Act is the most unpatriotic thing since the Alien and Sedition Act. The Bank Privacy Act, you know it's not going to protect your privacy, and of course it doesn't. In the days before that act, if the government wanted your bank records, it would subpoena them from the bank, and the bank would tell you, and you would have 10 days in which to challenge the subpoena. That legislation prohibited the government from telling you that the subpoena had arrived. That has now been transmogrified, if you will, so that if the government wants the contents of my mobile device, I'm holding up my iPhone. It's not gonna seize the iPhone from me unless they wanna intimidate me. They have done that. But the more effective way for them is simply subpoena the contents from the carrier. Verizon, AT&T, Google, whatever carrier uh, you use. So with Donald Trump, the government subpoenaed all of his tweets in his years in the White House and got an order accompanying the, uh, uh, wasn't a subpoena, it was a search warrant, and got the order accompanying the search warrant, another order saying, thou shalt not tell the subject of this. Twitter, X, challenged this, said, A, we have the freedom of speech, we have a contract with all of our uh, customers and C, there's the right to privacy. They lost on A, they lost on B, they lost on C. Trump at this point doesn't even know about it. The litigation is secret. At this point, uh, X appeals to the federal appeals court in Washington, D.C. A three-judge panel rules against them. Yesterday, uh, X 
X's appeal to the full D.C. Circuit was rejected by all 13 judges. Four of them dissented and wrote a stinging dissent, much as you or I would write, that this is an incredible violation of uh, privacy uh, and it destroys the privacy that you think you have with your cell phone provider or any big tech company uh, that you use. Whatever you think of Donald Trump, this is a terrible decision for the Fourth Amendment uh, and for human freedom. I wish that Reagan had never signed that piece of uh, legislation. I can't imagine that he could have anticipated the avalanche that it would have uh, triggered. I'm holding up my iPhone again. This has nothing to do with banks, of course, although there is banking information in here. But the language in it and the, uh, and, the, and the statute and the values underlying the statute have allowed the courts to allow the feds to expand their scope and seize anything they want from a third-party carrier, telecom, internet service provider, without telling you, without telling you. So that's where they, we are this morning. So what they justify doing to Donald Trump because it's Donald Trump, they can do to any of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. They can do uh, uh, to any of us. And um, <clears throat> there is some language in there about, wait a minute, I was president of the United States at the time. Court didn't care because he's no longer uh, the president. But it doesn't matter if he's president of the United States. He's a person under the Fourth Amendment, entitled to the right to privacy. And when the feds want to invade that privacy, the person should know about it and have the opportunity to challenge it. That was the law in the United States until 1986 when Reagan signed this le legislation. I mean, Reagan signed some crazy stuff. He signed 12333, which is the, one of the worst executive orders since FDR um, incarcerated Japanese uh, Americans, 12333. They're numbered. This is 12,333 of, of all the executive orders that presidents have signed. Uh, there's language in there that the CIA and the NSA interpret to mean uh, the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to them and they can spy on uh, anybody. Uh, Trump said to me, what should I do when I get in the White House? I said, Repeal 12 triple threes. What the hell is that? Well, I explained it to him. This is eight years ago when he when he was just getting in the White House. Still there. You know, he he got a lot of bad advice when he was in his first administration judge. He surrounded himself with all of the wrong people. I mean, one has to hope that he would learn his lessons. But, you know, politically on the on the, the front, he hasn't said that he wouldn't nominate Nikki Haley is his vice presidential candidate, which is, to me, the most disastrous thing that he could do. But, you know, he's not like us, right? He's not an ideologue. He just wants to win. And unfortunately, he can't see the threats that are coming at him from his back. But here's the question, Judge. I mean, I mean, absent perhaps yourself or Rand Paul, who could Donald Trump nominate that would actually watch his back and actually protect him from things like that? I mean, you seem to be one of the only people who ever gave him any good advice. One, nominate Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, which thank God he listened to. Two, get rid of this executive order, which would have protected him from this at this point. But I mean, it's it's highly likely he'll become the president of the United States again this, this fall, Judge. He's already ran through an army uh, of people who have, or, who have any experience in government. I don't know who the second or third string benchers are that could possibly come up 
if they have any competency to, you know, that could actually offer him that kind of advice. Who could he build in a cabinet that would actually offer him that kind of advice? Again, absent yourself or Rand Paul. I, I really, I really don't know. Um, you know, he, he has, uh, he has some very good instincts and then they're often, uh, negated, uh, by the people around him. But look, Austin, I might be giving this interview to you from my chambers in the Supreme Court of the United States if he had not listened to the people around him. <laughs> oh, Judge, that's I, could, I couldn't that resist saying that. He interviewed, he interviewed me for it twice. <laughs> judge, Judge, we should not be laughing about this. I want to be crying about that. It, you know, then we could have said that the most libertarian Supreme Court judge would be Judge Andrew Napolitano at that point. <laughs> God, and our country would be a much better place. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett and, you know, the other Supreme Court justices other than Gorsuch really were were not of our ilk. I, I didn't even really feel like they were that close to Scalia, to be honest. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. We're going to get another chance, uh, Judge. We're going to see what happens if Donald Trump win. I think if the election were held today, he would win. Uh, I, I don't know if things change between now and then. What could change? But obviously things can. Republicans are experts at seizing defeat from the jaws of victory, but we are hurtling towards a constitutional crisis, Judge. With things like this, the invasion of privacy in, in his Twitter DMs, uh, you know, his desire for vengeance that he claims that he wants to enact on day one, I, I think January 6th was only a preview of the, and, and the, the riots of Black Lives Matter in the cities during the, the COVID-19 pandemic, the mostly peaceful riots, if you will, that occurred. I mean, we could be on the cusp of an actual hot, full-blown war in this country if Donald Trump is elected. It's it's both terrifying on one side and thrilling on another. I, I don't know how to feel about it. How do you feel, Judge? Uh, I, I am sorry to say that I share your views. I think dangerous times are, are coming ahead. Uh, I've said before on your show and elsewhere that I don't think... Um, uh, the federal government lasts much longer. That's not necessarily a bad thing uh, at all. I just hope that, like the uh, old Soviet Union, it collapses of its own weight peacefully uh, rather than uh, violently. Uh, but it, it is clear that there are forces in the country on the left and on the right that don't care uh, about natural rights, uh, don't care about the primacy uh, of the individual. Uh, the concept that the majority rules uh, is, is acceptable until the majority starts interfering with your natural rights, among which is the right to privacy, the right uh, to be uh, left alone, amongst many other rights, uh, of course. Well, it's interesting. One of Trump's defenses uh, in all of his uh, criminal cases, except for the Mar-a-Lago documents case, which, which in my view is the most serious one for him to be concerned about, one of his defenses is First Amendment, freedom of speech. You can say uh, what he wants. I mean, for Fox, I analyzed, when I was still there, I analyzed that speech he gave uh, on January 6th. Every clause in there is protected uh, by the First Amendment. Every single clause is protected uh, by the First Amendment, as is much of what happened on January 6th. Not the destruction and not the trespass and not the harming the police and all that. But the showing up there, there are people that were arrested for showing up and cheering the crowds on. You know, the First Amendment protects your right to do that. Ah, unless the government doesn't care about the Bill of Rights. And that's what we have today. And it doesn't matter if the government is a Republican or a Democrat. 
if he is interested, I'm going to talk about the other side of Donald Trump. If he is interested in using the Justice Department for vengeance, that is extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous, and will provoke an equal and opposite reaction from the people against whom he is seeking vengeance. It seems as if if that happens, that would be the equal and opposite reaction to what they're already doing to him right now. But Judge, I'd like to talk about the possibility, if you were on the Supreme Court, of how you would have ruled on this next case, which my Senator Eric Schmidt brought to my attention this morning when he talked about the Chevron deference, something that not many people are talking about. We've mentioned it before on this show, but it has massive implications for people who care about limited government. Before we get there, I just want to remind all of our hundreds and hundreds of people watching, good morning, uh, that I'm Austin Peterson, and I'm speaking to Judge Andrew Napolitano this morning on the Wake Up America show about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if you're enjoying that content, I'd love it if you'd click like and subscribe to the channel. We'd be very grateful to have you come back and join us. The judge joins us every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Central Time. We call this big brain time when we get into the real nitty gritty of what's happening in international and national politics. And we truly respect the judge's opinions on questions like the next one. The Chevron deference, what is it? How could it potentially overturn a massive amount of federal government power, Judge? So we'll go back to Woodrow Wilson and his creation of the administrative state, uh, the idea of a government by experts in fields of expertise beyond Congress's competence. An example uh, uh, is the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, so that's the facade. The reality is Congress wants to control our lives, but it doesn't want to take the blame. So instead of voting on uh, regulations, like some bureaucrat has to approve aspirin before it can be sold, uh, it gives that authority to bureaucrats, un uncheckable, uh, unanswerable bureaucrats. The administrative state, whether it's FDA or EPA, any one of the three-lettered non-law enforcement entities, they can write their own rules, enforce their own rules, interpret their own rules, and punish the violation of their own rule of their own rules all within house. When this happened to Chevron Oil in the 80s, the issue was how many parts per billion could a certain uh, pollutant uh, be in the atmosphere. Chevron challenged the science behind the rule. And the Supreme Court said, we will not accept challenges to the science behind the rule. We will defer to administrative agencies when it comes to their technical field, whether it's the EPA and it's the parts per billion in the environment, or whether it's the FDA and it's the parts per billion in aspirin. I'll continue with my analogy on aspirin uh, because they know more about this than we do. So we will assume the science and the rule is correct. Our only construction in the court is, does it violate any other part of the Constitution? That deference is called Chevron deference. And since 1984, whenever anyone victimized by a federal administrative agency has challenged what the agency did, Chevron deference has uh, prevented the challenge from reaching into the reasons behind the rule. Now comes the craziest case you can think of. And the rule is the number of fish you can take from the sea. So how does the government know how many fish you can take from the sea? It puts a federal agent on your boat. 
against your will. You're a commercial fisherman, a lobsterman in Maine. And the federal agent counts the lobsters. And then the feds send you a bill for the salary of the federal agent on your boat. So the lobstermen in Maine have challenged this. Who is the government to tell us how many fish to take? How can the government put a person on my property against my will and make me pay for it? It's like putting somebody in jail before they're charged and before they're convicted and charging them for the salary of the jailer. That's the case that's before the Supreme Court today. And the lobstermen also said, we actually help the environment by removing excess lobsters from the sea. That's the scientific challenge that the Supreme Court will address. If they stick with Chevron deference, and I really don't think they will, the lobstermen lose. If they remove Chevron deference, it goes back to a trial over whether or not the rule makes any sense. The leading academic in the country against Chevron deference is the aforestated Justice Neil Gorsuch, uh, who has been writing against this for the past 30 years. Uh, I think this is a six to three invalidation of Chevron deference. Now, without Chevron deference, the whole administrative state in the United States is, uh, is denuded, if you will, of uh, much of their uh, firepower, because then they have to prove in court that their rules make sense. I hope that makes sense. That's quite exciting. I mean, this is we're talking about a massive deregulation of federal power. This would have enormous consequences here in the United States, not yes. quite a revolution, but I mean, a massive change. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. So when uh, I'm on the bench and uh lawyer for the plaintiff and a lawyer for the defendant come in the courtroom. They're, they're equal. Uh, the plaintiff has to prove his case, but the lawyers are equal. Ah, but if a lawyer for the EPA came into my courtroom and a lawyer for Chevron came into my courtroom, under Chevron deference, they're not equal. I have to give the benefit of the doubt to the arguments of the EPA. I mean, that is the opposite of what it should be. Think of what the EPA is. It's government. And what is government? Government is the negation of liberty. And what is liberty? Liberty is our natural birthright. So instead of the government getting the benefit of the doubt, it should get the opposite of the benefit of the doubt. It should have to prove its case at every point, at every turn. And every possible doubt should be construed against it. This is why we love Judge Napolitano. That's what we're all about on this show. Amen. Amen. There should not be a balance between liberty and security. The favor should be on the side of liberty. I learned that from you, Judge, reading your wonderful books. One last question, Judge, here for you on this. Um, it, you know, ships sailing through the Strait of Hormuz, ships that are trying to uh, engage in international free trade, which we believe in, have been attacked by Houthi rebels. Uh, from Yemen, firing not only on merchant shipping, but on American military vessels. Uh, I've been trying to understand a little bit more about the president's proper authority in regards to defending American merchant ships and defending American military ships from this initiation of force from Houthi rebels. There is a War Powers Act, which governs how the president is allowed to respond underneath this kind of a scenario 
You've detailed it in your newest column, which is appearing at judgeandapp.com tomorrow. Would you mind previewing that column for us and helping us understand what is the proper role of government in defending the United States under the War Powers Act, and how does it apply to this situation in Yemen? The uh, War Powers Act, the technical name of it is War Powers Resolution, even though it's a law, they called it a resolution. This is uh, 1973. Uh, this is in reaction to Richard Nixon bombing uh, Cambodia. He vetoed the War Powers Resolution. It was enacted as an override to his veto. Nixon's veto, by the way, was not based upon a constitutional argument that the Congress can't give the president its power to declare war. He felt the Congress was clipping his wings because he had to report to the Congress what he was doing. So under the War Powers Resolution, the president can start any war he wants, fight any, any battle he wants, kill any foreign foe he wants for 90 days. And then he has to tell uh, the Congress. And if he tells the Congress and they do nothing, he can keep doing it. If he tells the Congress and they say stop, he's got 90 days uh, to bring troops home or to stop the violence. That, in theory, is the War Powers uh, Resolution. It is profoundly unconstitutional because it is shifting constitutional authority from the Congress, only Congress can declare war, to the president. He can start a battle for 90 days and extend it for another 90 days. He's declaring war. Madison himself said if the president could both declare war and wage war, he's not a president, he's a prince. That's the, uh, that's the background here. What modern presidents have done uh, is instead of informing Congress publicly, they have informed it privately. And instead of informing Congress, they have informed the Congress within a Congress. Did you know there's a Congress within a Congress? You know that because you and I have talked about it and because you're smart and you know these things. The Gang of Eight, which is the Republican and Democratic leaders of each House's Intelligence Committee and of each House. So Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, um, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, Mike Johnson, plus whoever the chair and ranking members are of the House and Senate uh, um, Intelligence Committee committees form the gang of eight. When the CIA or somebody from the White House comes to tell them something in a skiff, a secure government facility, they can't reveal what they heard. So they can't tell their constituents who elected them. They can't tell the, tell the press who under the First Amendment of the eyes and ears uh, of the public. They can't even tell the other members of Congress who theoretically selected them to these uh, positions. So Joe Biden can fight all the secret wars he wants. Donald Trump could have done the same thing. Barack Obama could have done the same thing. George Bush did the same thing uh, without the public uh, even uh, knowing about it. Uh, as for the Houthis uh, and who they're attacking, what the hell are we doing there? The United States Navy has no business being there. There is no American national security interest there. I don't want our equipment destroyed. And I certainly don't want our guys being attacked, but they shouldn't be there. Putting them in harm's way, and then when they get attacked, using that as an excuse to start a war is the moral equivalent of a false flag. It's the moral equivalent of starting the war yourself, Joe Biden, because he wants to run as a wartime president. So Joe Biden on one hand is saying, oh, BB. Don't drop 2,000-pound bombs. Drop 200-pound bombs. Don't destroy the whole neighborhood. Just destroy one side of the street. This is ridiculous. 
At the same time, he's expanding the war by attacking Lebanon, a fellow member of the UN, in violation of the UN Charter, which both Lebanon and the United States have signed. Judge, I've got about... You can't uh, make this up. <laughs> Judge, I've got about a minute left, but I want to give you an opportunity to share with us who's going to be on your amazing Judging Freedom show, which is a huge hit online. Please let us know who you'll be talking to for your next episode. Well, uh, yesterday or Monday, I thought this would be a good uh, change of pace. I had on our former colleague, Bill O'Reilly. Oh, my oh. God, did I get clobbered by my own fans. I mean, you would have thought that I put Vladimir <laughs> Zelensky on. Oh, man, did they beat me up. Judge, this is your last chance. One more like this, and we're leaving you. Uh, and I forgot how cantankerous he was. It's fun to watch. We went at it for each, uh, to, uh, with each other for about 25 minutes, like we used to do for five-minute segments back on his show when you and I uh, were both uh, at Fox. He's as uh, poorly read and misguided today as was then. <laughs> but, but it was a lot of fun. He enjoyed it. He texted me afterwards, said he, he wanted to come back. I think people watched it because uh, they wanted to see, you know, yeah, what he's like. They, they love to see debates between great minds like that, Judge. And I, I now I've got to go back and I've got to see that. Um, Judge, is there anything well, later? Else later this week, I have I had Douglas McGregor on uh, yesterday. I have uh, Scott Ritter, uh, Jeffrey Sachs, and the great, the fearless Max Blumenthal. They'll all be on uh, tomorrow on the Judging Freedom podcast. You can find them on YouTube or on any of your mobile devices. The great Judge Andrew Napolitano joining us every Wednesday. Thank you very much, Judge. Keep up the freedom fighting. We appreciate you. Uh, God bless you, Austin. All the best until next Wednesday. And you as well. Stay warm. That's Judge Andrew Napolitano. Give him a round of applause. Send us a text at 573-319-1586. All right, are you guys ready? Speaking of great minds debating, Andrew Wilson, Brad Palumbo debating the question of whether or not gays should be able to adopt in this country. It's going to be great. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, everybody. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Glad to have you here. Do me a favor. Click that like button and subscribe to the channel. I know you guys loved hearing from Judge Andrew Napolitano. Big brain time on Wednesdays and a live debate. Oh, yeah. Wake Up America show just keeps getting bigger and better. So you want to be subscribed to the channel so you can find out about all of the fun updates. And we still got lots more exciting announcements to make this week. So if you're listening to the show every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time, you won't miss it. So like, subscribe, follow us and listen every five days of the week so that you can stay up to date with what's happened in the world of liberty. All right. Well, gay adoption, whether gay couples can adopt children. It's been a big contentious issue when a couple of weeks ago here in Missouri, I asked Senator Bill Igel, who's running for governor, how he felt about the issue. And then everybody just got their feathers in a ruffle and everybody's asking me were you just trying to take him down i'm like no i'm like these are really good questions so i started asking more politicians in the state of missouri that question and i don't know why everybody gets their hair on fire but i guess they're politicians so you know what it's let's get some people who are not politicians to debate this very important question for our nation's future and i got to give it up brad palumbo gave me the idea to start having debates on this show so we do appreciate 
Brad Palumbo, who's joining us live right now from BasePolitics.com. Good morning, Brad. Hey, thanks. Glad to have you. And Andrew Wilson, who's joining us as well. I've been on his show as well. He is also a podcaster. Good morning, Andrew. Morning. Thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. I'm going to give you both the opportunity to do a two-minute introduction before we get into this, and I start asking questions, and then you guys can go back and forth. Uh, Brad, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, and if you, uh, tell us a little bit about why you think that it should be legal in this country for gay couples to adopt. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again for having me. For folks that don't know, I'm Brad Palumbo, political commentator, YouTuber, co-founder of Base Politics, reformed journalist. <laughs> um, so pretty much, this isn't really a live question in terms of our politics, right? I mean, every state in America allows gay people to adopt, and I don't really see that changing anytime soon. I actually think that if politicians who were against it did try to change it, it probably gets struck down as unconstitutional anyway, as a violation of the Equal Protection Clause if they tried to ban gay people from adopting. But I think it's an interesting conceptual debate, and I understand that there are people out there who aren't on board, even though I think a vast majority of the public is, is perfectly fine with this. Um, and I want to just make the case to folks, right? I'm not saying it makes you a bigot, it makes you evil. Uh, I'm just saying I think you're wrong, and here's why. Uh, so the first question is, who gets to decide? Over here, we have, in a situation like this, right, we have the adoption agency or the birth parents who get, have decided they want to adopt their child. These are the people entrusted with the child's welfare to a couple of two men, two women, whatever you have you. And then we have this couple that wants to adopt the child. And then we have random people in other parts of the country. So, so we have two people, parties who are in total agreement that this is what's best for everybody. Then we have random people like Andrew halfway across the country saying, but you forgot to ask me. Well, nobody really needs to ask you, right? Because part of freedom is that people get to live their lives and arrange their families in ways that you might personally disagree with. And the same way that you want the freedom to raise your children in the way that you see fit, even in ways, I mean, if, I don't know anything about Andrew, I'm not saying him specifically, but say very religious people, right? There's lots of folks in this country who think that the traditionalist religious way of raising a child is somewhere between delusional to harmful. Should you still be free to raise your kid as you see fit? I think so. But if we want to start... If yep, we want to start playing this game, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to, it's a can of worms that people really want to open. The state right. deciding who's allowed to have a family and who doesn't. Well, we are, we are going to uh, open that can of worms at least for the next half an hour. Uh, your two minutes is up. Thank you, Brad. Uh, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind, introduce yourself and make your opening statement. Yeah, my name is Andrew Wilson. I'm the host of The Crucible. I'm a political commentator, uh, debater, and satirist. Appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate having this debate with uh, Mr. Palumbo. Thanks for having me. I'm sure it'll be a bit contentious, but I don't take anything personally, Mr. Palumbo. Uh, into the opening statement, what really matters here is what we as a society want to promote for standards and normalcy. Uh, obviously, I'm on the opposite side of Mr. Palumbo on this. My opponent uses a libertarian standard of do as thou wilt, and I use a standard of Christian ethics. He needs to answer as to why it is that throuples, couples, or sextuples can't adopt if gay men are allowed to. He'll only be able to respond that he doesn't believe the outcomes will be as good, but probably doesn't have much in the way of evidence to support it. 
or logical argument to support that. Why shouldn't trans be able to adopt Mr. Palumbo? In fact, basically, who can't adopt in your worldview as the, well, geez, it's all about my freedom and it's all about my libertarianism. Uh, Gay married couples, right? This is a sham anyway. Gay marriage has always been a sham. It's not a, a religious institution. And so that's what makes it a sham. Who cares if you have a contract with the state? You're an anti-statist, but move towards having state contractual marriages, which is insane. It's abhorrent to the church and Christianity, not to mention 75% of gay people support open marriages, which is contrary to marriage. And some half of gays who are married are in an open relationship, which is also insane and shows that it's a sham. Homosexuality also is as much of a social contagion as transgenderism is. By your own logic, this must be true, as you believe transgenderism is a social contagion. And you also go on to say that the sociological institutions have been completely infiltrated by pro-homosexual advocates. And this is why they can't make any of their studies or data work out to be true. I don't know why it is that that's only true for transgenderisms, but not or transgenders, but not for homosexuals. I would love to hear an answer for that as well. So as we dive into this, I can't wait to hear why it is that we just absolutely must destroy the normalcy of American marriage, of marriage in general, uh, under a Christian ethical purview so that uh, basically gay people can get designer children. That seems insane to me. Andrew, your two minutes is up. Thank you for your opening introduction. Uh, Brad, is there anything there that you'd like to respond? He did ask you a question there specifically. Is there anything that you would stop at? Transgenders, for example, would you prevent them from being able to adopt? Oh, absolutely not. Of course not. No, I no. Wow. What about sextuples or quintuples? Why not have why, why can't eight gay men who have orgies every night adopt a child, Mr. Palumbo? So, well, having orgies every night has no bearing on this. If oh, no, I think people have if straight people have orgies mm -hmm. every night. Would you then? No, that, it's no, not I would not. I would not let eight, gay people. Yeah, I wouldn't let eight heterosexual people adopt one child. Would you? Uh, would you? No, pro no, I don't think so. Why not? No. Why not? Because I think the evidence is very clear. That no, there's no evidence. Where's the evidence that eight heterosexuals who adopt a child is bad for the child or that eight homosexuals who adopt a child is bad for the child? Show me any evidence. Because a two-parent household is very clearly shown to be the best way to raise a child. That, no, that, no, no, no. Wait. Yes. This is, this is <laughs> bias in the studies. Just because it's studied only in a two-parent uh, idea because of monogamous relationship doesn't mean that that's actually better or worse. The question becomes, if you logically are saying to me, Andrew, gays must be able to adopt. And the reason they must be able to adopt is because of my freedom. And who are you to tell me who the hell can or can't have a family? Who the hell are you to say who can or can't have eight, nine, 10 people adopt one child? Who are you to say uh, that? Let me, Mr. Let me, let me um, uh, jump in for just a second, Brad. I want to uh, point something out. Uh, that the DSM is the standard classification of mental disorders used by mental health professionals in the United States. Transgenderism is listed as a mental disorder, but you think that it would be okay for transgenders to adopt, even despite knowing that they are classified as having a known mental disorder, uh, a dysphoria? Yeah, of course. 
We don't ban people who have some form of mental illness from adopting. What? Why would people, we ban again? You think people couples? with anxiety shouldn't be allowed to adopt? You think people with depression shouldn't be allowed to adopt? This isn't something that is ever applied as a standard. Who has some form of mental illness? I mean, that's like a third of the country. I don't know the exact number. It's a huge swath of the population. And it doesn't mean they're dangerous or unfit to be parents in any way. And the, the other thing, too, to say they have a mental illness is a little more complicated than that. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness. Correct. Nobody really disputes that. But gender dysphoria is not the exact same thing as being transgender. Well, if it's just a claim to self-identification, then it's meaningless. It becomes an infinite regress, so it's dismissed anyway. We're talking about gender dysphoria. Most people I would consider to be transgender most certainly have it. And not only that, it is most certainly a mental illness. There's no doubt about it. You say mental illness should not be a disqualifier from having uh, uh, adoption, but that's not true, clearly. You wouldn't want schizophrenics, psychotics, people like this to be able to adopt children. Because they're dangerous. Well, that's, that's right, right. Because, because they're dangerous. Why do we want the Nothing dangerous Nothing about having social gender contagion. dysphoria makes you dangerous It's a to social children. contagion. That, that's what makes it dangerous. But that we'll leave that aside for a second. Let me ask you again. If it's just all about my freedom, tell me why it is that you think that eight gay men should not be able to adopt a child. If, if the laws sufficiently change so that you can have a polygamous relationship and polygamous marriages, and in some states they're already moving towards that, why shouldn't they be able to adopt Mr. Palumbo? Well, I think the truth is that most people wouldn't place a child into that scenario. So most adoption, if I was running an adoption agency, I don't think that I would adopt out to somebody. If you're asking me, should it be completely illegal, I don't know that it should, but I don't think that people would really choose to place, because these are the people who are entrusted with children's welfare, right? Who run adoption agencies or the parents who are giving up their child for adoption. They're trying to choose what they think is going to be the best home and family for their child. And I think they should have a lot of latitude in that. And I, I think very few people would want to adopt wait, their wait, child yeah, into so these organizations people homes. Well, these organizations use the same standards of sociolo sociological metrics, which you yourself reject as being completely corrupt, being completely infiltrated and corrupt by leftist propaganda. They use those same metrics to decide where a child goes or doesn't go or there wouldn't be gay adoption to begin with. They use those same metrics to do that. Are you just the saying same, any studies? The You're same just saying any studies are, are illegitimate or flawed. That, no, so that's all the your standard. Your no, standard. it's not. Like to, You're just of evidence, making something interject. up. Let the timestamp is at 21 Andrew. minutes in your video, your last video that you had with a transgender individual. You said to them, the the AMA and the APA has been completely and totally taken over by pro LGBTQ crazy people, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what right, that's you not said. Exactly. I did say that. I think they've been infected by a, by absolutely by woke ideology i do believe that but that oh, is not, unless that has it comes no to your ideology every study every ever done what are you talking about so that I unless mean, let, so when it comes to, to your ideology to interject, it's fine. andrew i have a question uh, i'd like to to ask of you andrew can you provide any concrete evidence or examples where allowing gay couples to adopt has led to negative consequences for children beyond any theoretical concerns. Well, this is framing. So it wouldn't matter if I could or I couldn't. What matters is what's consistent. 
I want Mr. Palumbo to tell me why it's not, and he still hasn't answered this, why is it not consistent, Mr. Palumbo, to let 15 gay dudes who live in a house in a polygamous marriage adopt a child? Can you tell me that Because that would be not? bad for the child. That Prove would probably it. be harmful and confusing you're, for the you're, child. You're just making that up. I, I don't think I am just making that then up. I give think me that's one, pretty clear. One piece of evidence that that's true. I don't think we've studied it because I don't think that's happened then, very often. Then, you're, then you just made it up. Well, we have very clear evidence that it is not harmful for children to be raised by same-sex parents. Extraordinarily clear evidence. <laughs> so Hundreds of thousands what? of people have been raised by those parents lovingly. And Your standard is not harmed for this. Just the same metrics. And in fact, in some cases, better metrics than average. Because the subsection of the gay community that seeks to adopt is only a, a small subsection of Bro. the gay community. And it's people who are very family oriented. It's people who want to raise a child. It's people who have good financial resources, typically. And so the child generally has a lot of opportunities and does very well. So Your standard is completely and totally arbitrary here. You said in the beginning, your literal open statement is, Andrew, it's none of your business what people do with their family dynamic. It's not the best thing about America is that we're free and we're free to have whatever family dynamics that we want to have. So if you don't have evidence showing that 15 gay men adopting a single child is actually contrary to the health of the child, then why is it? Why are under you so this insistent standard? on talking about finish. something that let me finish? Isn't Hang happening. on, I'm almost done. Just let you make your point. Why is it that you can't be consistent and just say, listen, Andrew? It's okay for 15 gay men to adopt a child. I have no evidence to the contrary. I have no evidence that they shouldn't. And that's what freedom's all about. Well, because I think that you would need to, basically the burden is on you to prove that something should be prohibited, that people's right to form a family should be denied. And so to prove that, you would have to show evidence that that is very harmful and it's you not You just happening. destroyed your own argument, sir. No. Yeah, what you just said what you're in order to make any in sense. order you just literally said in order to stop 15 gay men from adopting a single child that you would have to show evidence the burden would be on you to prove that there's some negative connotation towards that child. So Mr. Palumbo, yeah. right this second absent that evidence, it should be fine for them to do, right? Well, there's a difference between fine and illegal, uh, but I don't I don't know if you would make it illegal. Here's the thing, if it ever starts happening, this is some Kind of fantastical notion you, you've conjured for rhetorical purposes, which I understand is part of an argument. Nope. There was a three-way marriage and they adopted a child, sir. But so I so we went from three to fifteen. You're off by a factor of well, five there. How, well, how many where, where should we draw there, the line? Should, think? should it be five? Should it be four? So Three we're, is talk okay, again, but we're talking 16. about something that's never actually okay, happened. I'd like to that's fine. I, I'd like to move on from this from this the hypothetical because it, it seems we're getting stuck on it. And very briefly, I just want to reintroduce our uh, guests who are joining us live right now for those who might just be tuning in. Uh, this is the Wake Up America show. I'm Austin Peterson, and I'm speaking with Brad Palumbo and Andrew Wilson. We're having a debate about the question of whether gay couples should be allowed to adopt in this country. Please like and subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back and join us on the regular. Um, a question. My next question here is for Brad, uh, and the question is related to our belief in free markets and deregulation on this question of adoption, right? Don't you think that it's possible that the more we deregulate things like adoption, that you know, children are essentially being commodified to a certain extent, right? Some people are saying the, from the traditional conservative community that 
that they don't believe that gay couples should essentially be allowed to buy babies, right? So you do believe in some sense of regulation, at least some kind of government regulation of the adoption market to some extent. Is that correct? Well, so that has nothing to do with gay adoption versus straight adoption. Adoption costs money, right? And so if a straight couple is adopting or a gay couple is adopting, money is being spent to compensate for the adoption. The question of whether or not you are buying or selling a child, I think, is a little bit of a red herring, but it really has nothing to do with gay people versus straight people because it has to do with just adoption. Are you against all adoption? That's an entirely another conversation that I well, guess it, we can it, have. It begs it just it begs the question then, of course, that if there is, there are government rules and standards for who can adopt, then it does open the door for there to be restrictions, such as if someone like Andrew Wilson were to vote on it preventing gay couples from adoption. There should be some rules and laws regarding adoption, correct? Right, and they should be focused on the health, safety, and well-being of the child. Right, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that, that we should have black markets for babies, you know, bid, <laughs> who wants this baby more? $50, starting at $50, like, no, we should have a regulated and orderly adoption system that should be open to all fit prospective parents. And that includes a whole lot of gay and lesbian people. I mean, hundreds of thousands of children have been successfully raised by gay couples or lesbian couples in this country. I know some of them personally who wouldn't have it any other way, who are thriving and doing great in their lives. Uh, and, and frankly, it's something that people are just going to have to get over. It's here to stay. There's nothing wrong with it. There's really Andrew, not much evidence against it. Andrew, it is your belief then that those regulations, which Brad believes there should be some regulations, your belief is that part of those regulations should be that it should be protected for only a straight couple, male and a female, to be able to adopt children, correct? Of course. Uh, homosexuality is a non-procreative, reproductive, genetic dead end. There's absolutely no reason, other than a social contagion, there is no genetic in, um, uh, at all. There's no genetic information which states that a person will or won't be a homosexual. There's no reason to believe it's not a social contagion, just like there's no reason to believe that transgenderism is a social contagion. It's a reproductive dead end. Of course, this is going to lead to designer babies. These are the same people who lied to us and made the, the bold claim that, wait, this is all about just homosexuals being able to get married. It's not going to lead to insane things like children getting their genitals removed. That's the slippery slope fallacy. That's the slippery slope argument. We were completely right about that. We were totally right that when we allowed degeneracy to enter into the marketplace of ideas absent any sort of regulation based on my freedom, we end up with these insane conclusions. Of course, this will go to designer babies. Mr. Palumbo is being completely disingenuous, and he'll be here two years from now on his YouTube channel saying, I can't believe, I just can't believe that now we're moving into the area of designer babies. I'm totally against this, even what though does designer his babies ideology to you? Are you discussing leads to it. What's that? Oh, what does designer babies mean to you? Are you discussing it just means, surrogacy? It just, it, look, it's all just designed for a ready-to-order child for homosexuals. As decadence takes over the United States marketplace, single motherhood shoots up through the roof and has been for many, many, many years. And what's going to end up happening is that adoption agencies, as they have an increase in the amount of children they need to go out there, of course, homosexuals are going to run to the front in order to get as many of them as they can. Why? Because I believe 100%, and I think most Christians believe, 
that it's a you guys are proponents of grooming because your ideology only moves through social contagion. You're not born gay. There's no proof you're born gay. So how do you become gay? You become gay through social grooming. So you think, hold on, you think that gay parents are adopting because they want to make those kids gay. Why is the propensity for children who are born inside of homosexual households? Why is their propensity for being homosexuals themselves so much higher than when they're raised by heterosexuals? Why is it so much higher for for children who are raised by transgenders to themselves become transgenders? If it's those are those are two very those are two very separate and distinct things, because sexuality isn't a choice. It is an ingrained characteristic. Now, there's no gender, proof for that. There's there no is. proof. Could you, so you're choose, could that, you be oh, choose to be gay tomorrow? I see. So you're could saying you? that transgenderism isn't a social contagion. They're born non-binary, right? No, these are different things. Gay and trans <laughs> are fundamentally different, no. distinct concepts. Listen, female, I'm almost done here. I'm almost done. The female to male transgenderism suffer from autogynephilia. Most of them suffer from autogynephilia. That, that might be true, but I'd like to stick to the, the question of gay adoption, if you don't mind, gentlemen. I do appreciate it, and you, you guys are uh, doing a great job here during this uh, unique debate. But my next question here is for Andrew. Um, is it fair to deny loving and stable homes to children in need just because the parents might be gay? There could be scenarios, for example, where someone becomes orphaned. Their parents are killed in a, a car accident, and maybe they have a lesbian aunt who loves their niece or nephew and wants to take them in and have them a stable home. The alternative might be an orphanage or it might be. Uh, an adoption agency that might never see them get adopted out. Wouldn't it be better for that child's welfare to stay with that family member if their, you know, aunt or uncle happens to be gay rather than to go through the the family system? This is the problem with this entire agnostic, libertarian, nonsensical mindset. Okay, is it leads always to utilitarianism and consequentialism? It's the only way that they can ever do anything. So they go, if there's a possibility that these outliers, if there's any way that shape or form that we can say that the outcome might be slightly better than if they're in state custody or even uh, somewhat better than if they're in state custody, which maybe that's the truth. We will ignore the entirety of the social contagion aspect of it, one, and then two, we'll ignore the entirety of the normalcy that we're trying to produce inside of society. What is a heteronormative society where the building block is the nuclear family? Right. We're going to ignore all of the decadence and decay that comes with this so that there might be slightly better outcomes for a minute amount of children. That's insanity. So you, you don't you don't make the exception proves the rule yeah, in, in some sense. You don't make policy based on outliers. That's crazy. We should never do that. It's always been a crazy way to look at it and it should be rejected. But you could understandably in that situation un say that that might be a case where it would be better than putting them in the state system there. Well, yeah, but there could be cases where if they're not in the state system and they're not adopted by anybody, the outcome could be better. This is the problem with utilitarianism. You try to that's adjust. That's not going to be the majority of cases that yeah, they're better but off the, in but state the, custody the, than with loving same gay sex marriage parents. or gay marriage. Isn't the majority of cases. Gay adoption is not the majority of cases. You can't point to outliers. Then say, Andrew, you can't point to outliers. You're pointing to outliers within this subcategory. So I'm pointing to outliers and you're pointing to outliers, like I just said. So I'm what I'm saying is that in the vast majority of cases, 
gay adoption is going to be better than staying in state custody. And you're saying, well, in some tiny percentage of the time, it might not be. It's like, okay, but most of the time it will be. And the thing we're discussing it's is not whether my or not argument. gay adoption my should argument, be allowed. Actually, my argument is that from a utilitarian consequentialist worldview that you do not take into account what this does as a decadent profile to society itself. Instead, it doesn't do anything you to take, society. Yes, yeah, so clearly it does do something to society, unless you think that society is less or more decadent right this second. If you take a look at the sexual revolution all the way up to the what I would call the homosexual revolution, which really started in the 90s. Yes, society's become much more decadent. The reason you have transgender lunatics running around all over the place is because they planted themselves under the LGBTQ flagship which had all sorts of rights organizations behind it. They integrated themselves into it because most transgenders are just gay men with autogynephilia. And that's the truth. They're gay men with autogynephilia. It has become as decadent as it can be. And the decadence is continuing inside of this field. And you take none of the overarching societal standards into consideration. You only look at the minute outlier and say, for some children, sometimes this can have a better effect. That's crazy. No policy works that way. You want to destroy other people's families because you don't like them and they it's don't a sham family. your own personal beliefs. It's not a Maybe family. We think your family's a sham. Well, Maybe that's we nice that you think go that take your kids. You like, wouldn't is- exist without the reproductive normalcy of men and women. However, if every single homosexual disappeared off of planet Earth tomorrow, there would be not a single negative side effect for society, sir. Um, except for all the ones that work as doctors, lawyers, firefighters, the ones no, no, who no, their sexuality, it, not them as people. If they're why sexuality, are you defining people's change. worth as humans by their sexuality? <laughs> the entire definition of how the homosexual lobby has defined themselves through pride and through everything else has been through their sexuality. All they celebrate is their sexuality. The entirety of the identity of the modern American gay man is their sexuality. Well, coming no, on the, not, we're coming up on the me. end. I think we're people just want to the live their end. lives and, and be allowed to be fully functioning, unique individuals and not have that one aspect of who they are held against them by folks like you. Oh, OK. You, well, I don't want Thank my you, entire society held hostage so that a couple of guys can have butt sex. That seems insane to me. Thank you. Just saying. You seem like a lovely <laughs> guy. You seem, we are you coming seem... to the end of our first uh, the first part of this debate. And uh, with their uh, permission, We are going to extend this debate for at least another 15 minutes. Thank you both gentlemen for your contributions so far. Uh, If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. We're hosting our very first live debate about the question of gay adoption. I'm speaking to Andrew Wilson and Brad Palumbo on this topic and certainly a very spirited debate over this major question that we're talking about right now. Please do click like and subscribe to the channel here at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. For those of you who are just tuning in, and missed the first part of this debate, we will be cutting this and posting this on the channel later so that you can enjoy it uh, at your leisure. Um, My next question here is for Brad. The question of discrimination when it's not done on a governmental level, for example. So I I would assume that you would be perfectly fine if a private adoption agency were to choose to discriminate against LGBTQIA plus couples on their own merits, a a religious institution, for example, if they are placing couples, that would be something that you would be okay with? Uh, Well, there's two questions. Do I like it? No, not really. Do I think it should be legal and it's within the bounds of their religious freedom? Yes. So I've defended the, the rights over the years of adoption agencies like the Catholic Charities of the world 
to place children according to their faith. Because when people, I think people who are giving up a child for adoption have a right to say what kind of home that child will be adopted into. So if they're giving up their child to Catholic charities or whatever, it's because they want their child placed in a traditional Catholic home with a husband and a wife. And I think that's totally their right. But there's plenty of other adoption agencies out there who look and say, we're open to all. And so if your child is placed through that adoption agency, they're going to place with same-sex couples. So I think they should be allowed to coexist. I think it's deeply counterproductive when like woke activists try to shut down these religious adoption agencies because, or try to force them to adopt to same-sex couples, because rather than violate their beliefs, they end up shutting down. And we need more people in this work, right? We have lots of, of kids who needs homes. And I don't think it's helpful to shut down people um, in the name of, you know, progress or tolerance or whatever. Do I like that they discriminate? No, I don't like it. I probably personally disagree with it. But I do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a libertarian. So ultimately, I think that's their right. I've never been somebody who wants to crush them with the arm of the state into giving out uh, kids to all. Okay, so Andrew, I assume you don't oppose private adoption agencies as well that set their own standards in such a way. And those standards may not, you know, be up to snuff with the ones that you would like to set. So I guess my question for you there on that same topic is, you know, do you oppose private adoption agencies? Some of them might be religious and have your views. Some of them might be more libertarian or, you know, explicitly secular. Do you think that the government should regulate all adoption agencies in this country and have a one size fits all standard? Okay, so first and foremost, if we look at this particular issue, Catholic charities and uh, Catholicism and adoption has always traditionally been handled by the religious. Same thing with orphans, things like this. In order for Mr. Palumbo to actually be consistent here under his libertarian standard, he would want the state completely removed from this completely and totally removed from this they're not even a necessary component the religious aspect has always been the placers of children generally with good high status religious families same thing has happened with orphans and things like this ultimately i think that the best thing that these private organizations can do as religious members of the community is bar homosexuals transgenders and abnormals from adopting children the stigma, which is then placed unfairly on that child, is overwhelming, as well it should be, as society tends to stigmatize things that they want removed from the public arena. Regardless of what Hugh Polling might say about how people are a lot more generous now towards homosexuals than they were just 20 or 30 years ago, regardless of that, these things tend to change. We also don't know what the outcomes of this are going to be because this is brand new territory. We don't know what these people are going to be like when they're 40s and their 50s and their 60s. Right now, we're just getting to the point for some gay couples have some kids who went through high school and sometimes they graduate at higher rates and sometimes they don't. That's the most amount of data that we really have. And doing controlled data uh, that's actually genuine on this is very difficult because, as Mr. Palumbo will state, these organizations are completely and totally infiltrated by pro-LGBTQ propaganda to the point where most of the studies are actually funded by LGBTQ groups. This is not good for society again. And in order for him to be consistent, you'd think he'd want the state completely removed. Well, I'm, I'm so, not an so anarchist. Then on that, Brad, I, want you, yeah, I do want you to answer that. But but real quick, Andrew, I'm, I'm not sure that I got an answer in there in, in your response about the question of, 
private adoption agencies? Do you think that all government that all adoption agencies should have a government imposed one size fits all? Yeah, I think that they should be underneath a moral purview instead of the state purview. It's probably a lot better for Christian organizations to take over adoption in general rather than the state. The state is a public machine which is designed for grooming of children through either ideology or sexual exploitation, which is why in public schools you see so much molestation, things like this. Yeah, it'd probably be better to take the state out. But if you didn't, you should at least give them some kind of standard, moral standard, ethical standard, other than, well, let's just look at our harm principle, which takes nothing else into account other than possibly for some kids there's better outcomes. Yeah, we want we want to focus on what's best for kids. And you're concerned with superimposing your personal morality onto all of society through coercion. That would be the opposite. You're trying to superimpose your morality, which is utilitarianism and your status uh, status quo of saying, listen to me, man, what's good is the good based on my arbitrary standard that I can't justify in any way. And I only take the consequences into account that I like and don't even study whatever the other consequences to it may be, you're actually trying to enforce your morality on a state which has always traditionally used Christian ethics as their moral standard. All states are going to use a moral standard. Why should we use your utilitarian moral standard to determine these things, sir? Because these things should be determined by what's best for the kids. Why? It's very clear. Justify it. Because a child's adoption should be about what's best for the children. Yeah, justify that claim, sir. Because I want what's best for the right, children. Right, because you want. It's all about I want my utilitarianism. It's Society all about that sounds like you're imposing. Sounds like you're imposing your morality while at the same time trying to pretend that I'm imposing mine. What I'm saying is that the only way that we can have a justification to know what's good for kids is if we have a moral ethical system and foundation like Christianity so that we can determine a standard. Your no, we have hard is, data and evidence you don't, on no. outcomes for kids. Then let's we don't. get to that, Brad. Actually, that's that's what was going to be my next question on this one, Brad. Is is do we what is the hard data and the evidence that the outcomes of of children who are adopted by gay couples have just as good or better outcomes as heterosexual couples? I, I wasn't able to find that data. Maybe you were. Talk to us a little bit about that evidence, because I, I'm sure that a lot of people need to know. Andrew had stated in his, his comment before that this is an experiment that, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line, we don't know what the outcomes of this are going to be because it hasn't been properly studied. You seem to think that there is some hard, hard evidence on the outcomes. Can you talk to us about that, Brad? Yeah. So um, one, I don't really agree that it's an experiment because it's actually been happening for a long time. You can go back to, I mean, you have people who are in their 40s or 50s now who are raised by gay couples. They've been adopting since the 70s, um, but it has definitely gotten more common over time. But so you can look at things, and I don't have all these studies in front of me, but uh, happy to send you some stuff. There, there have been many studies that track the outcomes for kids that are raised by same-sex couples through adoption, and most find pretty similar outcomes. Some even find slightly better outcomes uh, than the typical adoption situation, whether you're looking at you know, criminal, how likely they are to have a criminal record as adults, how likely they are to graduate high school, how likely they are to attend college, uh, how likely you can also poll them and ask how they feel about their parents and about their childhood and their family. And overwhelmingly, it's positive. Obviously, there's going to be some outliers in any situation. But so uh, I think the burden for folks is on when you have basically the, the weight of the evidence, the relevant institutions, 
it's not that they're unquestionable or infallible or can't be corrupted. I certainly think they can be, but the burden is on folks to prove that it is harmful, that the studies are wrong, that the experts are wrong, and not just by saying, well, you know, my religion says so. Like, actually, what are, we, we have a society where we have a separation between church and state. We don't have an established religion in this country. We're not a, a theocratic nation. So you have to make an argument as to why the weight of the evidence and everybody is incorrect and the data we have aren't sufficient. Um, but there's not much there to go off of. But you know what, actually, Austin, the one point I'll make, though, is even if you could point to evidence showing slightly below average outcomes, I'm not sure that would be enough to justify adoption of uh, banning adoption by gay people because you'd be punishing individual fit parents for some sort of statistical discrepancy among a group. And we wouldn't apply that in other contexts. Being gay is an immutable characteristic, kind of, different but similar to being black. And if you've had if you had lower outcomes on average for black parents who adopted children, I don't think any good person would be sitting here saying we should ban black people from adopting. Now, of course, it's that's thankfully a non-issue in this country, but there's something about the extrapolation of that example that I think is insightful oh, here. This is insane. Listen, Andrew, I want you to respond to this. That, was a, a question for this you. was a total straw man right from the gate. Notice what he did. He did a, a bait and switch. Right. So he says being gay is an immutable characteristic, just like being black is an immutable characteristic. So he conflates these two things immediately says to you that you need to accept that this is true. There is no truth that being a homosexual is an immutable characteristic. That's bullshit. Sexuality has been proven to be fluid many times, been all kinds of unethical experiments. In fact, proving this, I can give you a doctor's name who actually opened up a person's skull and put electronic devices in it. And based on those signals, were able to change their sexuality. We have the MK Ultra project, which demonstrated this through sexuality as well. It's not an immutable characteristic like being black is. So using that it is. as an, no it is. it's you can't proven. change your sexuality no one it. chose to be gay prove it no one chose to be i Where's can tell you proof? personally oh I never your anecdotes chose to be gay. prove it your anecdotes prove it well, show you can me also the look evidence at all the data on conversion there's therapy. no data there no, are conversion therapy of was conversion therapy the conversion therapy no in almost every case almost every fail. ex-gay person nope. turned out to still be you're gay lying and was through exposed. your teeth yeah, using selective data. The truth is, is that the American Psychological Association was under a huge amount of pressure from outside LGBTQ agitation groups who demanded that they reject what was looking like very promising data as far as it goes. In fact, I have the former president who was in charge at the time of the American Psychological Association on video explaining how this worked and how it was that uh, outside agitation groups came in and completely and totally uh, made the uh, uh, saturated this entire organization with pro LGBTQ propaganda and made them reject outright research that was looking very promising when it came to this. So you can't actually make this claim that, well, because there's bias inside of the system to the tune, I mean, to an unconscionable tune, by the way, the former president of the APA himself stating this. Uh, and then you say, well, you know, this doesn't actually work. Well, of course it doesn't work. Anytime it's tried, the pro-LGBTQ advocates come out and completely try to dismantle it and outlaw it. They literally in states will try to outlaw this. Why would you try to Andrew, outlaw it? 
Andrew, I'm a little confused by by something you said a little bit earlier, and I hope you could help us to explain uh, explain to us and understand what you were saying when you talked about some of these unethical experiments that were conducted when someone's skull was opened and they placed cathodes on their brain, and you say that they were actually able to change their sexuality. Mm -hmm. is, is that is that true? And if so, wouldn't that suggest that it, that there is a biological factor to sexuality well, that it that it is a mutable characteristic to an extent? So everything is i mean as far as we know in the genetics field is 50 percent environmental right and 50 percent propensity so for instance you could be an alcoholic who never becomes an alcoholic because you're never exposed to alcoholism so uh meaning if the beer is not present the environment changes right so you never move towards being an alcoholic the same thing could be true under sexual conditioning maybe some people have a propensity towards it uh, but never would act out on it or even be bothered with it except that environment and kind of the sociological push towards this thing can definitely influence it. We see this inside the trans community, especially a fantastic way to look at this is showing the social contagion inside of transgender communities. There's no possible way that if that wasn't such a massive fad that so many people wouldn't be moving towards it. Homosexuality is the exact same way. Yes, we can definitely demonstrate that sexuality can be changed if the conditions are necessary. And yeah, that's not a good thing. We don't want to promote that inside of society. It's a bad idea. And as this has become normalized, the decadence within society has become much, much more problematic. All right, Brad, I'm going to let you respond. And then we're coming up on the end of our first extended block. I do think that, that this is a good place for us to end it. So as soon as you're finished with your response there, Brad, I'm going to throw it to Andrew for his two-minute closer and plug, and then you'll have your opportunity to do the same. Please go ahead. Yeah, being gay isn't a choice. Nobody would choose it. In fact, most gay people spent years struggling against it and trying everything. I remember as a teenager trying everything I could desperately to make myself be attracted to women, and I wasn't. Most gay people spend years internally fighting this and then eventually accept it as something they can't change. Everybody knows being gay is not a choice because nobody remembers choosing to be straight and everybody sitting there in the audience knows that if they wanted to, if they set their mind to it, they couldn't go make themselves gay tomorrow if they're not. It isn't a choice. It, it, we don't know exactly what causes it. It's not as simple as a gay gene. It is a, a, a mix of factors. And I think that can all be true, but it's clearly not something people sit down one day and choose. And it's something about people that they can't change. I mean, it's just clear based on the experience of every gay person, based on all the data, based on the rampant failure and abuse that occurred every time conversion. I just have one question. One question. Yeah, sure. Okay. So is being a pedophile immutable? You know, I think I I don't know that anybody would choose to experience that perverse attraction. No, it's just an immutable characteristic. So why do we punish them for it? Because it's harmful. It hurts people. Right. So if it's harmful and it hurts people, and I can demonstrate that it's harmful for to be a homosexual inside society, but we it isn't, move towards though. outlawing it. Yeah, well, I'd love to have though. that debate with you next because it is. And it I can demonstrate isn't. it easily. Maybe so. another time, gentlemen, for that one, a little too spicy for the morning show, but uh, perhaps maybe an evening debate. Uh, gentlemen, you both did terrific, and I'm grateful for you both being so generous with your time. And thank you for being so brave to discuss and debate such a contentious topic. I have great respect for you both, Andrew Wilson and Brad Palumbo. Andrew, I'll give you two minutes for your closer and any plugs that you might like. 
to share with our audience before we let you go and toss it over to Brad to say goodbye. Okay, I'm going to yield 30 seconds to Mr. Palumbo as I interrupted him. I apologize for that. When I wanted to ask that question, you can go ahead, man, for 30 seconds before I go. No, you go ahead. You're good. Okay. Go ahead, Andrew. Okay, so um, again, my name is Andrew Wilson. I'm the host of the one and only Crucible. You can find that on YouTube and on all major platforms. Uh, I'm a, a mixed blood support debater, and uh, I also do social debates. I really appreciate Mr. Palumbo coming out. I know this was contentious. Understand, sir. I don't take any of this personally, uh, and I don't have any ill will towards you. I understand this could be an uncomfortable topic. What I demonstrate is that Mr. Palumbo has absolutely no standard at all for any of his morals or his ethics. I demonstrated that if you were to introduce something like, I don't know, 13 gay men adopting a single child, he actually bit the bullet instead by his own reasoning. Wait a second. If I can't present any evidence for why this is bad, then I guess we have to allow it unless we can provide evidence against it. This is a big problem inside of his ideology because it's all arbitrary. It's no ethical standard for which we should follow uh, for how we actually organize society, which, which is insane. We also got into the APA and the AMA by his own standards. He knows just how corrupt they are. But interestingly enough, when it comes to his own sexuality, they're right. When it comes to everybody else's everything, that's when they're wrong. Cherry picking after cherry pick after cherry pick after cherry pick. On top of all of this, what you are going to see in the next five years is you're going to see what are called designer babies coming up. You're going to see that they're going to be able to almost buffet style select the child. And then you'll see Mr. Palumbo on his channel going, I can't believe that this is happening, even though his own ideology ends up leading towards those outcomes, which is insane to me. I'd love to come back and have a full long form debate on the kind of burdens that homosexuality itself puts on society. I'd be happy to have that conversation with Mr. Palumbo. Thank you so much for having me. Andrew, where can people follow you online? Uh, you can follow me at Paleo Christcon on Twitter. You can also follow me on YouTube. You can follow my wife, Rachel Wilson, and her Substack. She also wrote a book, great one, called Occult Feminism. I strongly suggest everybody picks that up. Brad, uh, your final statement. Yeah, part of living in a free society is letting people live in ways you disagree with without trying to use the force of government to crush them or to impose your own ideology or morality. Everybody agrees that there are bare minimum standards that you're not allowed to harm other people, but simply other people organizing their families and lives in ways that you personally disagree with because of your religious beliefs doesn't come anywhere close to meeting the threshold to not to deny other people their most basic rights and freedoms and ability to form a family and live. We have decades of evidence and examples of kids being raised by loving same-sex parents who go on to live happy, healthy, and successful lives. There's plenty of evidence. It's not all from the AMA. Many of it is from other countries. Many of it is from Europe. Uh, so it's not all just from one or two institutions that I certainly acknowledge have been corrupted in different ways. But even to that extent, doesn't mean everything they've ever said or done is wrong. Um, but more broadly, I think that people need to understand that we're not we're going to tear ourselves apart as a society if we don't embrace a spirit of pluralism. We, you know, secular people, libertarians, LGBT people need to accept that religious people are going to want to live their lives and organize their families in ways that we don't really agree with. 
we should not try, and unfortunately too many people in the LGBT movement have, to crush or dominate them into submission. In the same vein, if they want that freedom for themselves in a country where they are an ever-shrinking minority, they must extend it to others, or they're setting the stage for their own demise. Everybody, uh, thanks for this debate. Appreciate it. Uh, check me out on YouTube. Just search Brad Palumbo or check out the Based Politics podcast that I co-host. Andrew Wilson, Brad Palumbo, thank you very much for being generous with your time today and for getting up so early and entertaining our listeners with such an intellectual debate. We appreciate you both. Have a wonderful day. You Thanks. too. Thank you very much. What did you all think of Brad and Andrew for our very first debate? Good stuff. Don't forget the Wake Up America show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time, so you can catch us live if you're watching us later. And if you're watching us live, click, click, click like and subscribe. Yeah, go ahead. Lick that like button. <laughs> what do you think? The very first of our live debate series. We're going to try and do these at least once a week. If you enjoyed it, then I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget, you can send me a text anytime, night or day. 573-319-1586 is the text line. And of course, exit through the, not the grift shop, the gift shop. That's right. AP4LibertyShop.com. When you buy from AP4LibertyShop.com, you're helping to support more debates and discussions just like that one. Don't you want more, more? Give me more, more, more. I think you do. We appreciate you all very much. We appreciate our debaters. Thanks to Brad Palumbo for giving me that idea. Thanks to you for tuning in live or listening to us later on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com.